This is the Indie Drills Podcast, and I'm your host, Chad Wilson. I'm also the owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of 101 DB Tips. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about any and everything having to do with defensive back play. From technique to current events, we'll cover it all just like the guys in the back half blanket the wide receivers. I have over 20 years playing and coaching and training in this game, and I'm ready to use all of that experience to bring you the best experience in the Indie Drills podcast. So let's go. Welcome to the Indie Drills Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Wilson, owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of the book, 101 DB Tips. This is a DB podcast. Not very many of them out there, so I'm happy to be hosting this one and able to talk about what goes on in the secondary. All of that good stuff back there. Everyone is into offense, but it's good for us to have a podcast like this talking about defense So um, I'm going to entertain you here for the next 45 minutes or so. I'm going to talk a little bit about sign stealing since that's in the news and it's a big deal. It's what everyone is talking about. And I'm talking about Jim Harbaugh being in the clink, if I could say that, uh, over the sign stealing scandal that's going on in uh, at Michigan and in the Big Ten. I have my own little quick story to share, plus my thoughts about sign stealing. Also going to talk about how do I cover that route? That's a question that I get a lot. Um, on social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, I get a lot of uh, DMs from guys asking me how to cover a specific route. So I will have some thoughts about that. I will share that with you on this podcast. Also, the age-old question, T-step or bicycle step when getting out of your break as a defensive back? Uh, We're getting close to the time of year where that always comes up. It's usually in the pre-draft stuff. Uh, when we get to the combine and you start seeing guys doing their drills and uh, people start debating T-step or bicycle step, I will give you guys uh, my thoughts on that. And it's probably something I will go into with a little more uh, a little more in-depth down the road. And then finally, our main topic here is speed. It's not everything at defensive back. Sometimes I think we put a little bit too much of an emphasis on on speed at defensive back and um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, why that's not everything at defensive back so we'll get into that on the show so let's jump into the sign stealing as we all know um, as I'm doing this podcast right now Michigan just defeated Penn State uh, a, this is a day after the Big Ten ruled that head coach Jim Harbaugh couldn't be on the sidelines in the game uh, as Michigan took on Penn State and as expected Michigan Um, handled Penn State. Michigan has a really, really great defense, at least by Big Ten standards. We are going to have to see what happens when they get into that college football playoff, as we all expect that they will, and they go up against some of the more explosive offenses that exist outside of the Big Ten. The Big Ten, you know, for a long time has uh, been very vanilla in terms of offenses, especially in the passing game, and that's kind of what Michigan has been going up against. By and large, this season, I'm anxious to see how that defense performs when they go up against some of the more explosive and creative passing offenses that exist out there and that they will run into in uh, in, in the couple of games or at least in the first game that they play in the college football playoff. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is sign stealing. Um, I don't want to dig too deep into it. I'm, I'm sure if, if any of you were interested in it, you've done some kind of reading or you've... Um, 
paid some kind of attention. So you kind of know what the story is. Uh, Michigan did some advanced scouting to go, you know, videotape and, and, and figure out the signs for some of the opponents that they were going to face. Uh, sign stealing is not so much the issue. It is the advanced scouting. That is the, it, the particular rule that had been broken. But with regards to sign stealing, I'm going to share this story with you guys. As a defensive coordinator at American Heritage High School, which is a very popular and strong high school uh, down here in the South Florida area that, you know, we've put out quite a bit of uh, NFL players out of there. Brian Burns, Pat Sertan, Tyson Campbell, Marco Wilson, Khalil Herbert, running back for uh, Chicago, uh, Nesta Silvera, who's a defensive lineman for the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, almost call them the Oakland Raiders there. Um, and uh, the school Sony Michelle came from. So it's a it's a pretty popular high school down here when you're talking about putting out pros. Uh, especially at the private school level in South Florida, there's St. Thomas and American Heritage. So we were in the state championship game playing a school called Ponte Vedra, which is up north. If you guys are familiar with the landscape in Florida, it's up north in the Jacksonville area. And this particular school had made it all the way to uh, the the state championship game. And they were not loaded with offensive talent. They were not loaded with with athletes, let's just say, throughout the roster. Um, pretty vanilla in that regard. What they were was very well coached, uh, running a very good system, and they had a good quarterback. The kid ended up getting a full scholarship to Indiana, and uh, deservedly so. Really good player, uh, great great skill set, and, and ran and executed the offense very well. So we're in this game. It's us with all of our athletes. And now, mind you, we had a great coaching staff as well. We didn't just rely on the fact that we had good athletes. First of all, um, we, we had kids that had a good pedigree, but we did a really good job in terms of developing those players, both in the weight room and then in, you know, from a technique standpoint. The current head coach at American Heritage, Mike Smith, was our, you know, one of his jobs was strength and conditioning, and he's as good as anyone at the high school level in developing players. So there was some work to be done there. So nevertheless, we're in this game. We're better athletically. Um, but we find ourselves in a dogfight in this game in the second half. First of all, they scored the first, uh, the first two touchdowns of the game. They were up 14 nothing on maybe the second or third play of the game. Uh, I'm the defensive coordinator. They hit on, some, on a rub route. Um, it was um, basically a mesh concept, and I was playing man. I figured, you know, listen, we've got the better athletes. I'm going to use what I have. I'm not going to tie one hand behind my back. I'm using, I've got the better athletes. We can shut these guys down. Be hard for them to get separation. Well, being a good coaching staff that they were, they, they came into this trying to find ways to get their guys open. Third play of the game, they run a nice little mesh concept, get a guy wide open, and lo and behold, through a, you know, a cavalcade of events, this kid goes up. He goes about 80 yards. You know, One player runs into another player, um, and a guy, kid goes 80 yards, scores a touchdown. And then they proceeded to kick an onside kick, get the ball, um, next play, nice little screen play off of motion, just like that, two minutes into the game, they're up 14 nothing. Anyway, we work our way back into it, we get into the second half of this game, and you figure, all right, listen, the better team's going to take over here, we're going to start pulling away from these guys, but that was not the case. We were still in a dogfight in the third quarter, and we had between um, two different series I'd call some blitzes. I'd start putting some pressure on these guys because, as I said, I, I fully intended to run man coverage and use the advantage that we had. We were very good 
um, at defensive back. At that time, we had three guys that are playing in the NFL right now uh, playing in the secondary for us. So why wouldn't I use that? And virtually every starter in that secondary went to a Division I college. So why wouldn't I use that? So I'm bringing some pressure. And it must have been about four or five different blitzes in a row. These guys called screenplays right when I call those blitzes. And not just any screen. They call screens right into the blitzes that I was calling. So the screen is a great call, but then the perfect screen for the blitz that I am calling. And so, listen, I take pride in what I do, especially when I was a defensive coordinator. A lot of pride in that. And, you know, part of that pride is not being predictable. Uh, I could do anything at any time. I could send anyone from any time. Um, I, I ran concepts that not a lot of other people would do from time to time. I was not a textbook coach. I didn't coach out of a, cl- a clinic. I didn't coach out of a book. You know, I developed things. I was creative, so to speak. So I found it odd. Now, we're on a fourth or fifth blitz, and these guys have just timed it up nicely with screens. So when the series ended, went over to my middle linebacker. My middle linebacker in, in my defense is the guy that is basically me on the field. I pour everything from my mind and my playbook into the middle linebacker, and he has to be an intelligent guy. And one of those jobs is un, is knowing the signals, all right? So I go to the backup middle linebacker who has to be prepared to go in the game. So that means he has to know all of the signals um, that we do, and including anything new that we've added that week. So I tell him, hey, listen, Next series, I'm going to tell you the call. You're going to signal it into the middle linebacker. And I obviously told the defense that the signals were now going to be coming from the backup um, middle linebacker. And I'm going to be making some dummy signals at the same time. So as, uh, as the situation would have it, called a couple blitzes. Uh, the backup middle linebacker is the one signaling the real call. And, I'm, you know, for you coaches listening to this, I am sure you've had to go through something like this. You've had to do exactly what it is that I'm saying or you've done some version of it um, in a game. So um, so he has the real signals. I'm signaling the dummy signals. And ah, what do you know? The two blitzes get home. There are no screens called. Matter of fact, I had to, they had the perfect long developing plays um, called versus these blitzes. And so they hit home. So. All right, we get off the field. I switch it back to now I am going to be um, the live coach. My signals are going to be the real signals. And the middle linebacker is going to be throwing in some dummy signals. Normally, I just don't have anyone else throwing in signals. It's me with the signals and no one else. But now I'm heading into the second series where we've got two people sending in signals. And now it's, uh, it's, a, it's on the opposing coaching staff to figure out what's what. So next series comes out. Another two blitzes. They get home, no screen in sight, boom. So I don't know for sure, but I can make the safe assumption that someone over there got my signals. They either uh, saw something on film, and we'd send out pretty good film now. Um, you know, our, our film situation at American Heritage was pretty good, and we'd send you a good film. Not some of the BS that I see, <laughs> or certainly not some of the BS that we had received sometimes as a scout film from schools and some of the other stuff that I see going on now, because, you know, it's been some six going on seven years now since I've coached. But yeah, I'm, you know, this is nothing new. Some schools will just send you the worst scout film. So we sent pretty good scout film. So I, I'm not sure, 
what they did, or maybe someone did show up in person to some of our high school games, uh, some of our playoff games leading up to this, as I'm sure Ponte Vedra could have expected that we would um, most likely be someone that they would face if they ended up in the state championship game. We were a well-oiled machine at that time. Uh, we had already won a couple of state championships. We, you know, made it deep into the playoffs the year before. So you, one could reasonably expect that we would be there. So whether it was through advanced scouting or it was, you know, studying things off of film, they got my signals. And um, in the third quarter, I kind of figured out what was happening here. So I start doing the dummy signal stuff and then they're not so on top of things in terms of their play calling. They're not, you know, on point. So I could make the reasonable assumption that they had my they had my signals. So at the high school level, at least in the state of Florida, advanced scouting is not something that's against the rules. It is, however, in the Big Ten. And so for the to the extent to which Michigan did that, I guess we will continue to find out. There's already enough evidence out there to suggest that this is what was done. But I will say this, man, sign stealing is a part of the game. It's something that's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what Big Ten or college football is going to do from this point. It's probably time with the amount of money that exists in the uh, game of college football, the millions and billions of dollars that are out there, that it's time to just come up with a helmet system sim similar to what they have in the NFL. So there's no need for signaling. You can just radio in your calls and into the mic of, uh, of your middle linebacker or your quarterback. And that would just kind of kill all of that. That would kill that situation. Let's see what the NCAA does about that. Or do they want to just continue on with this archaic system that um, now ends up with stuff like punishments? I am willing to bet that Michigan, if indeed they were doing some illegal advanced scouting, is not the only one engaging in that. Um, not in all of college football. There is rarely ever a situation in college football where there's rule breaking going on and it's being done by one institution. That has not been my experience in my 40 years of watching college football. There's never just one school doing it. And Michigan has gone so far as to say, hey, you guys better be careful because there's some other schools in this conference that uh, we've got the goods on. So uh, for you guys that are coaching at all levels, high school, college, man, man, even youth football. And I know oh, some might think oh, youth football was the big deal. Man, the, winning those youth football games are a big deal to the coaches. All right. As someone who coached youth football, um, if you care like that, understand that with this being out there and this being such a big deal that they're going to get some they're going to be some coaches out there to get some bright ideas. Um, as to, you know, grabbing your signals and using it to their advantage. And there are less rules at the high school level and at the youth football level for people to have to observe. So you guys, um, whether you're coaching offense or defense and you're using hand signals to send in plays, be wary. Coaches that try, that care, that want to win will use everything at their disposal. So just be aware of that. Take something from my story and, uh, you know, I could have been oblivious, had my head into the clouds and allowed that to go on. And the result of that state championship game could have been quite different. And it would have been embarrassing for us to have lost that game to Ponte Vedra, not to take anything away from them. It's just the public at large looking at it would say, God, all those all that talent they had at American Heritage and they lost a game to Ponte Vedra, who, by the way, I don't think has been back to a state championship game. And I'm not sure that they had been to a state championship game before that. 
They just had a good coming together of players. They had a great quarterback and a really good coaching staff. So I do want to give them credit for that. But yeah, um, sign stealing is out there. It's a thing that happens and it can happen at any and all levels. So uh, beware, protect yourself. All right, next topic on the list is how do I cover that route? Oftentimes, and a lot of times, especially in my Instagram uh, DMs, this usually comes from new defensive backs of the game, especially cornerbacks. You'll be out there, you're covering, and there's a particular route that is giving you trouble. That's just what happens to uh, all guys. Sometimes it's just that route that bugs you. And a lot of times it's a slant or it's, uh, you know, sometimes guys have trouble covering a post. Um, or it's the most feared route out there, it's the go ball. And I will get this answer, uh, this question, specifically asking me, how do I stop the slant routes? Or, you know, how do I stop the, how, I'm having a problem with the post route, how, would a, how do I stop the post route? Well, there are ways for you to be in better position against whatever route it is that is uh, giving you a problem. And that is going to involve, uh, you know, several things from film study to IQ to studying alignments and then getting your proper alignment. I'm not going to dig into that here. That's also a great topic for down the road. I'm going to say this in general to anyone listening, to all of the players that are listening to this right now, as well as anyone coaching players, you know, because, you know, a lot of you guys listening to this are coaches and trainers as well. You would do well to, when you want to cover a certain route, really get dig down on your basics because you can come to me and ask me for an answer on how to cover a certain route. And when you're asking me a question like that in my, in my DMS on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, I can give you some tips on it. And it's not going to be a long answer because after all, it's a direct message in the social media and you can take those tips and run with them. Oftentimes, though, if you you go full bore on the tips that are given to you by me or anyone else, you may now become better at covering the slant route, per se. However, if you lack the very basics and you've not, you know, nailed down the basics that you need as a defensive back, as a cornerback to play off man or press man or whatever the case may be, you may now start doing well against the slant but find yourself open now to the fade route. Or you start having problems with comebacks or anything to the outside. Because I'm telling you how to cover a slant route. We all know that slant route is only one of many routes that are available to a wide receiver when they come out and line up in front of you. I mean, the route tree has nine, well, ten routes on it. And then there are, there are, there are sub stems um, and there are sub routes to the route tree. And it could get infinite the amount of routes could get infinite. So yeah, there's a route that's giving you a problem. But if you're going to go all out just to stop that route, I would say to you, you better absolutely know that that route is coming or 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 you could do what it is I'm suggesting to you and that is get yourself down on all of the basics. Let's have a good stance at the line of scrimmage. Let's have our let's have good footwork. Um, let's make sure our eyes are in the right place. And before all of that, let's make sure we're aligning properly. If a wide receiver comes out and takes an extremely wide split, don't just line up in front of him. Don't just line up anywhere. Don't line up head up in front of that guy. Splits mean something in an offense. 
And for the, you guys out there that have never played offense or coach offense, in most playbooks, the splits are dictated within the play. A good playbook is going to tell a wide receiver exactly where on the field they need to line up. So where they line up before that play is started means something. It's going to kind of give you an idea of what potential routes may be coming. And so as a defensive back and as a player out there, you got to have that awareness. Don't just be out there playing with your head in the clouds. You should know the down and distance. You should know the formation. And you should recognize the split. Slow your brain down and analyze these things before uh, the ball is snapped. So a super wide split tells you, hey, man, a slant is a, is a really good potential here. An in-breaking route is a potential here. A curl, a dig, a slant, anything on the even side of that uh, route tree is potential here. And then you start going about eliminating some of the things on the on the route tree because of down and distance and the team and and tendencies and things of that nature however it should be your aim um, new defensive backs to have an overall general good grasp of the basics knowing what they are and then being proficient in executing them physically you want to have good footwork you want to have a smooth back pedal you want to be efficient out of your break, planting in the proper spot and, and using the right amount of steps out of it. You want to have your eyes where they need to be, on the waist when you're in man-to-man, -man, reading your keys when you're in zone, whether that's the number two or three receiver or reading the end man on the line of scrimmage or reading the quarterback, whatever your defense and your coach requires from you, your eyes should be in the right spot. So I always stress the guys the basics and listen in this generation this microwave generation this 240 character tweet generation they want to run through things so fast and you start playing defensive back and you just want to hurry through the basics and get into the secret advanced techniques okay sure you'll get there but you should never ever at any level stray away from the basics I don't care what new and advanced and secret techniques you are now starting to uh, learn, take note of. If those things, if your development of those things pulls you away from the basics, I'm here to tell you it, you're building a house on sand. You're going to fall too far away from what it is you need to be successful out there. And I like to use baseball a lot because it's a game that I played um, it's a game that I've coached, and it's a game that involves a whole lot of failure. And one of the most difficult things in sports is to take a baseball bat and hit a ball, um, especially from a major league pitcher. And so learning how to do that and teaching guys how to do it provides um, a lot of opportunities for me to now take that over and translate it into the game of football, especially playing defensive back. But if you're a batter in baseball, there are just some basics to hitting a baseball that you can't get away from. You may try some new batting stance. You may try some type of new technique or whatever the case may be. But it really is seeing the ball out of the pitcher's hand, taking your, your timing step when you're supposed to take it, and distributing your weight and, and moving the bat through the zone so you can contact the baseball. And I don't want to get too deep into that. But those are the basic things. 
And if you're not executing those things, it won't matter what advanced technique you're learned or some super secret technique you're bringing to the table. And that's the same thing at defensive back. If your footwork is not right, if your eyes aren't in the right place, if you're not aligning right, and you choose to play the game without any type of awareness, you're just not going to be successful. So you could take some tips from a guy um, that tells you how to cover a slant, but if you don't have the basics down, you'll cover the slant and you'll give up everything else. And that's when the frustration sinks in. It's going to feel like you're on a boat and it, holes are popping up in the bottom of the boat. And when you stuff one hole, another hole pops open and you stuff that hole and another hole pops open and there's a, you'll start to lose confidence. So if you want to have confidence while you're playing this game, if you want to be on, if you really, and that's confidence is such a big part of this. I would say it's damn near everything. If you want to be a confident player, you will find your confidence in being so very good at the basic things. There's a reason that Kobe Bryant was the great player that he was, that Michael Jordan was a great basketball player that he was, that, you know, Magic, uh, LeBron. These guys are fundamental players. They have the fundamentals so down. They did it so much better than the guys around them. So, yeah, they may have had a technique here or there. They may have had a certain shot that they executed that other guys couldn't. It was all built off of the basics. So at the end of the day, if you guys want to cover a certain route, Let's make sure you are really good and down on the basics. And you'll find that you can not only cover that route that's bothering you, you can do very well against all of the other routes. Don't put yourself in a situation where you can attack one route now, but the other eight, nine routes you're not very good at. Okay, that's not where you want to go as a defensive back. All right, sliding over into the next topic, and that's the T-step Versus the bicycle step. Man, we get into this every year and I just laugh at it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to just give you the, the, the genesis of how I've come to this conclusion. And I'm going to give you the conclusion up front. T-step or bicycle step, it really does not matter. Okay, let me just start off by telling you guys that. It really does not matter. Here's why I tell you that. I played five years of Division I football, all right? And for those of you that don't know my story, I started off my first two seasons at a place called Long Beach State. And the reason I said a place called Long Beach State is because they no longer play football. And it's not that they don't play Division I football. They don't play any kind of football. And the closing down of the program occurred while I was there. So um, that's an experience I went through. Um, but that's not the big thing of this story. I played two years at, at uh, Long Beach State University, and then my final three years I played at the University of Miami back in the heyday, the early 90s. But in the process of playing at those two schools, I had five different defensive back coaches. I had a new DB coach every year. And each coach had their own techniques and ways of doing the things that you need to do. Now, what you have to do at defensive back is – the same everywhere you go. You've got to be able to cover in man. You've got to be able to cover in zone. You've got to be able to tackle. And uh, those things are, are universal. You must do those things. However, each coach has their own little special way of doing these things. And one of those special ways was each guy had a different way of how they wanted you to come out of your backpedal. Some guys wanted the bicycle step. Some guys wanted the T-step. Some guys had some little funny step that they wanted you to do, a shuffle step here. This, that, and the third. By the time that I got to my senior year, 
I had to have a discussion with the my fifth coach now into my senior year, and I just said, listen, I am willing to learn your technique, um, but at this point, you are my fifth coach in my fifth year, and I've been playing for, for a, a while now. I've been playing long enough that on game day, I have to go with what it is that I feel comfortable with. And let's just come to the understanding that when we are in practice, and I realize you have other guys that you need to coach, that are, they're guys that are going to be here beyond me, I cannot sit here and disrespect your techniques, refuse to do them in a practice setting, or maybe even criticize them in front of these other players that need your respect, need your understanding, and you are going to continue to coach beyond me. So I will do these techniques in practice. I will try to, you know, adapt them, adapt to them, put them in my game, etc. And that may be to my advantage. But when if I'm not comfortable with them, Coach, I, I'm going to go with what I'm comfortable with in a game, and I'm sure that's what you would want me to do because at the end of the day, when we get into a game, when I'm out there playing against Florida State and lined up and there's 80-something thousand people screaming and it's a third and five, you want me doing what I'm comfortable doing so that I can make a play, and we agreed on that. But um, I walked away from that realizing that there are just so many ways to skin a cat. So when guys go all the way in and they want to die on the hill of the T-step is better. You get all of your cleats into the ground and it gives you a more solid break. Or guys want to go all out and say, oh, the time that it takes for you to turn your foot is, the, is going to be the half second that you need to make the play. You're better off doing the bicycle step. I am here to tell you as someone who's had to execute both. Um, and, you know, adapt several times over. Um, it doesn't matter. To quote The Rock, it doesn't matter whether you T-step or bicycle step out of your break. What matters the most is where you plant, where you replace. If you T-step outside of your circle and not under your center of gravity, it's not going to matter. You will slip, you will fall. I don't care how many cleats you get into the ground. If you bicycle step outside of your circle and not under your center of gravity, good chance you're going to slip, fall, and you're not going to come out of the break that you want to. So the most important part in coming out of your break is planting under your center of gravity, whether that is to T-step, turn that back foot, or it's to just put that, you know, toe in the ground for the bicycle step. That is what's most important. And I've got news for you. Um, bicycle step um, proponents that want to die on that hill. I don't care if you're a bicycle step guy. At some point, you will T-step. If you are covering a wide receiver that's running right at you and he runs a dig route, similar to the one that was run by um, a a sharp dig route like the one ran in, in the movie Get Out. And I'm sure you guys remember the scene if you saw the movie. Guy's running full speed at the main character in the movie and then hits a, a, a sharp dig route. If a guy runs a dig route like that, I can promise you, you are not going to bicycle step. You are going to T-step because you're going to need to open your hips to go whether it's inside to the left or inside to the right. So at some point, a bicycle step guy becomes a T-step guy. 
We all T-step at some point because the route's angle is going to determine that. So you're all, you're going to need to do both at some point. All right? So maybe some guys are just T-steppers, whether they're coming forward or going left or right. Yeah, that might happen. But I'm here to tell you, I'm going to put this thing to bed once and for all. It does not matter, T-step or bicycle step. I am open for debates on this. You know, I'm just telling you through years of experience playing, being coached, coaching, and training, it doesn't matter. I've had all kinds. And for you coaches out there that has, a, you know, you get a guy that's been playing for quite some time and he has some experience and he's comfortable and he's making plays, doing what he's doing, for you to change his T-step to a bicycle step or change his bicycle step to a T-step is what I would consider to be malpractice. You're going to mess that guy up. Nine times out of ten, you're going to mess that guy up. So if it's working for him, leave it be. Just emphasize more getting the foot down and replacing the foot underneath the center of gravity, staying in a circle. If you want to harp on something, if you want to coach something, coach that up. And if you're a player listening to this and you want to analyze yourself, if you are a natural T-stepper, or a natural bicycle step guy, make sure you're planning under your center of gravity and things will work out the way that they want. All right, I've got a bunch of tips like this on coming out of your break and being better out of your breaks. It's not all just where you're stepping. Um, I have a ton of this stuff in my book, 101 DB Tips. And then, by the way, guys, um, as I told you, I've, I train, I've trained a ton of NFL guys at this point. For those of you that care about that stuff. Guys like Xavier Howard, Trayvon Diggs, Pat Sertan, Tyson Campbell, uh, both of my sons, Marco and Quincy Wilson, Justin Simmons, a bunch of guys. And the book 101 DB Tips is pretty much stuff that I'm saying to these guys daily in the offseason and reminding them of during the season. That's what 101 DB Tips is. So if you're a coach or a player and you don't have the ability to be coached by me on a daily basis, trained by me on a monthly basis, or you don't get to me at all, this is the next best thing. It's such a great resource. How to cover in man, how to cover in zone, how to study film, how to train in the offseason, how to play in nickelback, how to cover in the slot, how to play safety, how to play corner, just about everything that you would ever want to know about playing defensive back at any one of the positions in the secondary is covered in this book, 101 DB Tips, a very worthwhile investment. So um, if you order the ebook, you get the book right away. It's delivered to you um, quite nicely in an email sent within two minutes. It's sent to you. Or if you prefer to have the uh, a solid copy and there's some of you out there that just want to have a book in your hand, I'm kind of one of those guys. I'm not a really big ebook guy. Um, you can order the soft copy version. There's a link in the description. Again, can't recommend it enough. If you're a coach, if you're a player, if you are a trainer, 101 DB Tips is for you. If you're wondering if it was for you, I'm here. I'm telling you, it's for you. It's a great resource uh, for you guys out there. So it's uh, definitely something that you should get. All right, let's jump into the final thing here. And that is speed is not everything uh, at defensive back. You know, this is a topic that I probably will bring up again when we start getting to the combine because uh, everything um, 
it starts to the speed starts to become everything and the only thing people want to talk about when we get to to the combine for defensive backs is an overemphasis on it i get it it sells tickets it sells interest it gets people interested in the combine and the nfl if nothing else has become very good at marketing but i'm here to tell you guys yes it is good to have speed it you are blessed if you have speed it, it can make the game easier for you if you have speed but it is not everything when you enter a pro football training camp as a rookie, um, you are on high alert. You analyze everything going on around you and assess it um, as, you know, either an aid or a threat. I had a guy in camp with me named Jimmy. He was a fellow cornerback, um, you know, when I went to the Seattle Seahawks training camp when I was fresh out of college. And um, Jimmy was my roommate. Jimmy was from a smaller school. But he was a 4-2 guy, 4-2 all day. He could run like the wind. Track star, this guy could, could take off. When we're all scrambling for roster spots as free agents, Jimmy's 4-2 was a threat, I thought. Because, you know, we're all fighting for a roster spot here. I could run, but I was not a 4-2 guy. Low 4-4 guy, certainly not 4-2. Now, we had a first-round pick that year, and it was a speedster by the name of Joey Galloway. This guy was rumored to have run a 4-1-8, and I believed it. Jimmy might look really good covering that guy every day, and that was going to bode well for him capturing that limited roster spot. In my mind, that's what I thought. He's a 4-2. Joey's a 4-1. If he can cover the rookie, that's going to look really, really good for him because, you know, the speed matches up, blah, blah, blah. However... Jimmy was gone with the first cuts in training camp. I was obsessed with speed then, and Jimmy's quick release from the roster was the beginning of an eye-opening for me. Jimmy was okay in his back paddle. Um, he was less okay turning and running, and very limited in his football IQ. All of his speed could not overcome what he lacked in those other important areas. So he was a step behind everybody, including the wide receivers that ran a 4-6. When that NFL, NFL combine comes around, uh, it's, you know, the masses and the decision makers get obsessed with the physical numbers, like the height and the weight and the speed. Falling to the back and all of that talk uh, are the things that really matter when the bullets start flying on an NFL gridiron or any gridiron. How smart a player are you? How in tune are you to your craft? How well do you execute the various movements that will take place on the field hundreds of times per season? Finally, how solid is your overall mental approach to the game? Because this thing is going to be more and more mental as you move through the uh, different levels of playing this game. To further emphasize my point, I grabbed some numbers that I want you guys to digest. Here are the fastest 40 times for DBs from... Uh, the 2014 combine. I just randomly picked the 2014 combine. Now, these players would have been into, I guess, their ninth or tenth year now. That's a fairly good idea of what they are. And so here they were. The fastest guy that year was Justin Gilbert, 437. Second guy, Philip Gaines, 438. Third guy, Bradley Roby, 43940. The fourth guy, Jalen Watkins, 441 
and the fifth fastest guy, Brandon Dixon, 441. Now, I mean, I just randomly picked 2014, but shoot, times have gotten even faster then. But I wanted to go back in time just so we could march it forward to kind of see what kind of careers these guys had. Without going into great detail, because I'm, you know, I'm not here to single out players. Three members of this group were out of pro football within five years. As a whole, the group of five um, maybe have 15 career INTs, maybe a little bit more, an average of three per player. A couple of solid players in the group, but as a whole, their production underachieves the 40 times if you're inclined to believe that speed is everything. I mean, yeah, you've heard of Bradley Roby, decent career. Jalen Watkins, okay. Justin Gilbert was could be considered a bust for Cleveland. And there are many reasons why that might happen, but his speed was not enough to overcome maybe some of the other things that were um, a problem. I move to the next year. Here are the top 40 times from DBs from the 2015 Combine. And these players would be into their eighth or ninth season in the league. Number one, Trey Waynes, 431. Number two, Justin Cox, 436. Number three, Ronald Darby, 438. Number four, Josh Shaw, 444. <clears throat> Excuse me. Craig Mager was number five with 444. There are five guys on this list. Four of these guys on the list out of the league. Between all of them, they have about 13, 14 career INTs. No one on this list is scheduled, uh, I, I don't think, has been to a Pro Bowl. Again, there could be a number of contributing factors to the outcomes of players' careers, um, especially the ones that I spoke of. Could have been in a bad system, um, a defense that didn't fit them, etc., etc. However, the point being made here is that speed does not conquer all. As Jimmy learned in the Seahawks minicamp that I was in and observed over the years, there are a number of equally or even more important factors that go into the success of a defensive back. Speed is a critical component. Uh, it's, a, it's a critical component. You got to have it. However, guys, I'm here to tell you it's not the only thing. As you set out to improve your speed and other physical aspects of the game, you must be mindful of balance. Speed will only get you noticed, but being able to last will depend largely on your knowledge of the game, your mental approach, and your technique. Young players out there will pour an overwhelming amount of their time into what the stopwatch says. And they'll do that at the detriment of all the other skills that matter. When you do that, the careers end faster or you fall far short of your goal. So if you're a defensive back out there, yes, care about speed, but don't get overly obsessed with it. Be able to backpedal. Be able to play press man with good technique. Be able to move laterally. Be able to come out of a backpedal. Be able to flip your hips. Be able to have a good crossover run. There's so much to this game. And then don't forget the mental aspects of it. Being tough mentally, being able to get beat and get back up and make a play. Um, the, the, the film study that needs to happen and having instincts. There are a ton of players. Matter of fact, most of those Hall of Fame guys out there um, were guys that were there just because they had really, really great instincts. Ed Reed was a 4'5", four, 4'6 four, guy. Tyron Matthews made a bunch of plays in this league, 4'5 uh, guy. There are a ton of guys out there that weren't blazers, not track stars, but were there because they had great technique, instincts, and studied the game. All right, So I want to make that em an emphasis 
for you. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this edition of the Indie Drills podcast. Again, I want to tell you guys, um, the 101 DB Tips book, great investment for you. Also, I do have a members area at All Eyes DB Camp, definitely a place where you guys would want to hang out. So it's another great investment for you. Over 200 videos in there on drills, uh, DB technique, coverage is explained, a ton of stuff that's going to just make you a better DB, better coach, better trainer, etc., um, so those are two really great assets, two really great things that you can use to raise your game to the next level. And, you know, it's just making a really, really great investment into yourself that's going to definitely pay off um, later on down the road. There's a, there are a ton of guys who have made that investment and are reaping the benefits of it. And you know what? In some cases, that's, that's, that's your competition. All right. So you can't let them get the edge on you. So I have links um, and, uh, I'll have a link to 101 DB tips in the, uh, in the, uh, description for this show. Uh, otherwise visit all There'll be more information there on my members area, along with a ton of great blog articles for you guys to read. All right. That's it though. I'm going to hit the door. Appreciate you guys spending your time here with me. If you have not done so already, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever you are using to stream this podcast right now. I would appreciate you being able to join me each and every week and be notified whenever I put out another great uh, DB podcast like this one. We're trying to stay on a regular schedule. We're coming up on the holidays, so that may or may not happen. Um, I try to do these on a weekly, semi-weekly basis, but we're going to run into Turkey Day and then, th- and then Christmas and all that great stuff. So I will try to put out as many of these podcasts um, as I can over the next six to eight weeks as we run into the holidays. However, when 2024 comes around, this is going to be a regular thing. Um, I started the podcast this year and uh, just kind of wanted to get my feet wet with it. And you guys have shown some uh, that you love you love the DB podcast and you're feeling good about it. So um, looking forward to doing this on a regular basis in 2024. All right, I'm going to check out, guys. Appreciate it. Subscribe on your way out the door and links to the important things in the uh, in the description for this show. All right. And remember, all eyes DB camp consistency breeds results.